welcome, welcome all to the Pro Football Radio Podcast. This is your co-host, Jay Chima, with the pride and joy, Merrimack, New Hampshire, one, the boomer. Okay, that's real booming, Jay. So you opened up with, with it being booming. I kind of jumped a little bit with the sound coming through my headphones. And uh, yeah, you're really booming towards the end, but I like it. How, how you doing, brother? How, how, how goes the battle today? Dude, I am doing so good, Brandon. I am doing absolutely wonderful, brother, man. I am feeling good. Week one of the NFL is in the books. Today, I got my Ohio State football back. The Big Ten is making a comeback. So mm-hmm. life is fucking great right now, man. I am so excited. Yeah, yeah, perfect time. So what's the... So, Jay, what's the deal with the Big Ten? Are they doing eight games and then conference championships, and then that brings you right to Selection Sunday? Like, how how are they going about uh, the Big Ten uh, season this year? So, first of all, hashtag fire, fire Kevin Warren. Always got to throw that in there. Fire Kevin yeah. Warren. Secondly, what's happening is they're going to start up August – I'm sorry, October 23rd and 24th. They're going to run through an eight-game season with, I believe, one week built in for flexibility if COVID happens. Mm -hmm. And then the championship weekend, essentially all top eight teams will play, but only two teams will be playing for the Big Ten Championship. The rest will be playing for third, fourth, uh, like fifth, sixth, that kind of thing, you know? Oh, got it. Okay. That will be – that championship game will be one night before Selection Sunday for the college football playoffs. Oh, no pressure. (laughs) All right. Exactly. And all indications are if Ohio State gets our eight games in and we win the Big Ten championship, the college football committee has said they will will consider the Big Ten championship in as well. Oh, nice. So when you mean by one-week flexibility, is it like each game in between you have like almost like a bi-week kind of deal or is it – so you know, schedule, kind of buffer period on each end. The schedule is not out yet, so we don't know how they're going to build that flexibility in. Um, the schedule should be coming out by the end of this week because they're reworking things. But essentially, um, I, I do believe it's going to be one week towards like uh, towards the end. Um, and but by the way, this is uh, on top of their bye week as well. So I guess you can call it two, but okay. technically they get a bye week just to kind of you know do their own thing. Right. Um, so, so yeah, I'm super excited, man. Super excited. It took a long time. There was a lot of, you know, bullshit behind the scenes. And for the longest time, I lost some hope but just because this has been building for two weeks now. And there was on again, off again reports of it coming back. Uh, but finally, the Big Ten realized the grave mistake they made and they realized they had to correct it. Now, I truly believe the Big Ten, when they put this plan into motion uh, back in August, they thought that everybody else was going to fall back in line with them. Um, and they thought they were going to be the leaders. They're going to be praised. They're going to look so good, shutting college football down for the safety of the players. But once they realized that other conferences were actually problem solving and trying to figure out a way to play, that's when they started shitting the bed. And this and 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 don't let it be mistaken. This was pressure put on the Big Ten to come back. Nothing else than the fact that the SEC is starting this week. Big Ten's playing already. ACC is already playing. Is the reason why the Big Ten is back today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well. Go ahead. I was just gonna say. I mean, this is this is kind of what happens when. I mean, we were talking about this, you know, off air last week too. Of you know, this is what happens when the big daddy, uh, the NCAA, doesn't come in as a whole and just does its own thing and puts forth a proposal for all the other conferences to follow. They they kind of turned 
this whole issue of college football into a NCAA version of states' rights. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the yeah. ACC and the SEC are like, you know, Florida and Georgia. And then here is the Big Ten being like Massachusetts and Connecticut. And the Pac-12 was trying to follow lockstep with with what the Big Ten was doing. And it, it sounds like, are, are they really the, the redheaded stepchild Who? at this point, the, the, the Pac-12? Well, it, from the reports coming out of the Pac-12, uh, looks like the governor of California absolutely never put any restrictions into play. That's what his comments were today, because he came out and said, well, I spoke with Larry Scott two hours ago today. Um, essentially, he told Larry Scott, the commissioner of the Pac-12, oh, yeah, I, I never said that. I never said you guys can go out there and practice. So now we're looking at the Pac-12, and they're also shitting the bed because they're like, oh, shit, we're the, we're the last ones out here. And now they're going to be forced to come up with a game plan as well. But all of this, all of this speaks to incompetence, incompetence from the NCAA, incompetence from the Big Ten commissioners and chancellors. And what I'm, what I'm trying to get at the bigger point here is this could have been avoided. This could easily have been avoided back in August when they realized they made the decision way too quick. And my biggest issue back then was we had this conversation. My biggest issue back then was, you know, essentially the Big Ten made a premature move. They could have taken more time to figure out. Essentially, they didn't need to, they didn't they didn't need to make a decision back in August. They could have they had way more time to make that decision, but they decided to jump the gun, be the leaders, essentially, um, show the college football world that they're shutting it down and hopefully everybody will follow. And and that's what's happened here. Essentially, they they look like shit now. They look like they have no no fucking leadership at all. You know. Mm-hmm. Oh. And you know what the, the, the last bit on, on the college football is? If you think about it, nobody really cares if the Big 12 plays or not, right? Like, if you want to talk about how far the mighty have fallen, like, it's not, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it's not that long ago when the Pac-12 was almost the be-all, end-all of football back in, you know, USC's heyday and UCLA at times, you know, would make rumblings and whatnot, but you know, man, how far the you know the mighty have fallen. Nobody really seems to give a damn about whether or not the Pac-12 plays football or oh, not this year. Oh, the Pac-12 is fucked for years to come, bro. Because right now, what you're seeing is you're seeing athletes out of the Pac-12 go to major schools. Uh, for example, uh, Alabama went into uh, USC's background and picked up uh, I forgot the guy's name, something Bryce from Modern Day. He was a quarterback, uh, number nine, hell of a recruit. Should be USC's next quarterback. He went to Alabama because you don't know what's gonna happen. Happen. Like mm-hmm. coaches are struggling the wagons, and and this just goes to show you when the college football committee selection show will happen at the end of December. If uh, Clemson, Ohio State, Bama, and Oklahoma get in, nobody's gonna care one bit about the Pac-12. No. Nobody's gonna give a shit, and you deserve a Pac-12. No, absolutely. And uh, in regards to the Pac-12, do you do you see any? This is just your gut feeling. I'm not gonna hold you to it but do you think any schools from the pac-12 would try to make an exodus and maybe go to say the big 12 uh i don't uh go good question good question there is gonna be one more major tectonic shift happen in the ncaa alignment of conferences um, you saw that happening a few years ago when the big 10 took on some new teams the big 12 took on some new teams 
I, I don't think it's going to happen in the immediate future, but in five years, because I truly don't believe the Pac-12 is going to be able to recover from this. They're so far behind the game right now. Until they, Unless they come out in the next week or so and say we got a college football season ready to go, they're going to miss that Selection Sunday show. And that's the big the big issue here. There's no point of playing in, in January. You're just playing for what? The Pac-12 trophy? Where does that, where does that get you, right? Right. So I, I think um, some of the marquee, the marquee programs might look to bounce. Especially with the uh, the amount of checks being cashed, especially in the Big Ten and the SEC, uh, the Big Twelve is third in the uh, the TV rights deals and the checks they get. Um, but I I think you make a good point. We could see it. We could see a USC or you know in Oregon try to see if they can go somewhere else to really solidify their their football prowess. Right, right, for sure. Uh, my my thought. This is just my gut feeling. I I feel maybe I'm misremembering, but I feel like there was a lot of buzz of Arizona state this year. And I, and I feel like if one college was to, to split out of the pac 12, I feel like Arizona state might be the first domino to fall. Yeah. So with Harm Edwards being out there and the amount of uh, NFL coaching talent he has on that roster. Um, additionally, he has some great recruits that he's pulled in. Um, plus he is really good at marketing and the Twitter slash Instagram content coming out of the program makes it look like you're going and rolling up to an episode of MTV Cribs. This is true. Uh, you right? show me this. This is very true. Right. So I do like what Herm Evers is doing there. Um, I do think in about two or three years, they're going to be the class of the Pac-12. I think you're going to have two big dogs in the Pac-12. You're going to have uh, Arizona State and you're going to have Oregon up north. Uh, Washington will make some play here or there, but I think USC, USC is in the worst situation right now because A, they're not recruiting well, and on top of that, nobody cares about them, and they don't have a competent head coach. So I feel bad for USC because they're going to be shit for a long time, and it's unfortunate because college football is better when USC is, uh, when USC is better. Oh, for sure. With the, the, all the history there, they're, they're, they're almost like the, you know, you've said this before on the podcast too, like the NFL is great when the Chicago Bears are great. You know yeah, what I mean? Of course, yeah. And, they're like the they're the college football version of that for so, sure. So the blue bloods of college football are going to be USC, Texas, Oklahoma, Notre Dame, Alabama, Ohio State, Penn State, um, Florida, um, Clemson, and who am I forgetting? LSU. Like essentially, if these teams are good, then college football is good. Right. And, and I purposely left off that team up north. They might be blue blood, but I'm not really sure. I mean, <laughs> Jay, they never like I'm I'm a Michigan guy in the rivalry. Like, let's let me just put it out there. But I'm the first one to cop to it. Like, Michigan has not done anything since, like, you know, God rest, Bo Schembechler died. You know what I'm saying? Like, they have not done anything from, you know, the Rich Rodriguez time to what is it? Floyd, I forget his first name. He was he was tenured there for a while. Yeah, Lloyd Carr. Lloyd Lloyd Carr had some good years. That's right. He's Uh, the one. He's the one that won them that. uh, not a championship, but they finished undefeated and they self-proclaimed themselves championships, which is stupid as fuck. But right. regardless, they had that year in 06 where they had the number two team in the country. And essentially, they lost to Ohio State in that one versus two in the shoe with Troy Smith. And then the next year, they had a great team coming back because I remember Mike Cart wanted to come back. Uh, Chad Henney wanted to come back to finish what they started, yeah. in their words. And then they got they got beat by Appalachian State week one. And they it was one of the demo. best days. It was the, one of the best days of my life, man. <laughs> I mean, I mean, let's be honest, Jay. They've never recovered from that Appalachian Appalachian State loss. Like, let's just, let's just put it out there. They have not recovered from that absolute demolition by what they thought was going to be a tune-up game. And I don't know how Harbaugh still has a job up there. 
Yeah. Yes, yes, sir. Um, but other than that, man, uh, how was your weekend? You ended up moving. I ended up helping you move. How is that going, man? Yeah, oh, it's it's going. It's still it's still a work in progress, but we got a majority of the of the the large items out of the house. Uh, Going to be wrapping up uh, this you know this coming Friday. Uh, so just got to rent another U-Haul, but for the most part, everything's in here. It looks kind of like a, a mini campground. There's boxes all over the place. You know, it's, it's a campground meets like a FEMA, you know, dist- you know, disaster area. So it's kind of control, uncontrolled chaos at this point, but it's, it's getting there one, one box at a time. Nice, nice. Cool, cool. Um, okay, man. So the rundown of this podcast is going to be, you know, kind of we're back to normal for the NFL season. Uh, we both got a couple storylines we're going to hit on. I'm going to hit on the Patriots win over Miami. Uh, the Buccaneers lost to the Saints. And then your two storylines were what again? Uh, my two storylines, uh, it, it's kind of interesting just to see the soft, the amount of soft tissue injuries going on in week one and even leading up to opening uh, opening day uh, in the NFL. And, and lastly, uh, I th- I honestly think the Steelers defense is the uh, the best defense in the NFL, and I've been saying it's a Super Bowl caliber defense, and we we saw that on display uh, Monday. Uh, you are not lying. They look absolutely amazing, so I'm glad that's one of your topics because I want to touch on that as well. Uh, but let's start with the first one. Um, I watched 11 hours. Wait a minute, 11? Uh, yeah, almost uh, t- 10 hours of football on Sunday. I was slightly uh, jealous. <laughs> Well, do you want to tell people your yeah, story? You know what, Jay? I do want to tell people a story, okay? All right? So the, right. the folks out there listening, maybe if you're in the New England area, you can understand my pain if you have Xfinity. So moved into the new house, brought the cable over. I took the day off for opening day. I was excited to finally watch football because my normal work schedule is I work Sunday through Wednesday, so I don't really get a chance to see the, the main slate of football games, the 1 o'clock slate and the 4 o'clock slate. So I was like, all right. Jay, I'm going to take the day off. We're going to watch football. And our boy, Too Hot Butot, Justin Butot, he was going to watch football with us too. And cable's getting installed. I'll be there Sunday right before kickoff. Well, the cable wasn't able to be installed on Saturday because the technician that came out was a jackass and looked at the wrong pole, thought he didn't have enough wire, said he had to come back the next day. So Sunday morning, technician comes out and says, uh, yeah, the technician was a moron. He could have did this yesterday. Uh, it's going to be at least like two hours for me to do this. Uh, so I'll try to get it done as quickly as possible, but yeah, I make no guarantees. So long story short, Jay, I might as well have just worked Sunday because <laughs> I wasn't able to go over there until four o'clock. I was able to see the Saints game, the Saints Buccaneers game and see, you know, the, the, the Bengals and Chargers and the 49ers and Cardinals on red zone. But it really defeated the whole purpose of having the day off. I I was so pissed. I, I think I, I did like a hundred on the way to your house. <laughs> I felt bad for you because man, the one o'clock games were absolutely dynamite. Oh, they, were, they were freaking amazing. Mm-hmm. I was so, oh Jay, I was so pissed, and I'm like, I was trying to keep it together because like the kiddo was at the house. I'm trying to move stuff, and I'm getting pissed. And oh man, it was it was a bad day in Happy Land. Well, the night before when we were sitting around at your place on Saturday night and you said, yeah, the guy can't install the cable tonight. He's coming tomorrow. I knew you were not going to get out of there before 4, 4.30. I knew you were going to miss all the 1 o'clock games because you know how these cable guys are. They don't give a fuck. They leave you you hanging on edge all day long. They show up when they want to show up and then Uh they half-ass a job, you know? Mm -hmm. This is fine, though. 
I, I still have like 80 hours of vacation time I need to burn. So uh, I'm gonna we're gonna find another day. We're gonna find another week where there's a decent amount of games, and I'm not doing a goddamn thing. Nothing. <laughs> Zero. You know yeah, what, Jay? Well, I'll, I'll camp out at your house the night before just to make sure <laughs> there's no hiccups. Well, listen, we got the two TV setup going. It was absolutely awesome. We'll have one game going. We'll have Red Zone going. Red Zone going. Um, it's uh, it's absolutely awesome, man. I, I think Red Zone is one of the best product and innovations ever made. It, it's so awesome. It's so oh, great. Sure. You get to see everything. You get to get a good glimpse of all the teams. You don't have to keep your eye on uh, Red Zone the whole time. You can be watching your game like on the actual on a different screen. So it, it's awesome. It's absolutely great, man. Oh, for sure, especially nowadays with you know the the extreme meteoric rise of fantasy football and da- uh, daily fantasy sports as well too. Yeah, like if you don't work on a Sunday and you're doing fantasy sports, Red Zone is an absolute must. Like it is absolutely incredible. And if I didn't work on Sundays, I would have no problem handing Xfinity and the NFL office in Madison Avenue my ten bucks a month to watch fucking uh, Dude, Red Zone. For Spectrum, it's only five dollars. Did you know that? Oh, look at that. Yeah. Price gouging from Xfinity. Nice. Yeah. So, well. Bent over a barrel here, Jay. It's no problem <laughs> at all. Well, listen, um, it sucks that you missed most of the uh, 1 p.m. games, but one of the 1 p.m. games was your Miami Dolphins um, against my New England Patriots. And, you know, going into this game, I I had some reservations, uh, obviously because of our boy Tom Brady leaving, not really knowing what the offense is going to look like, Um, essentially kind of walking into a a game that I haven't had, that I didn't have a feel for. I didn't realize what was going to happen. So, to watch that game and watch the Patriots win 21-11 over Miami, it, it was kind of interesting, man, because as much as things change, some things always stay the same, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. The Dolphins laying an egg in, in Foxborough? Yeah. Short of week 17 last year? No way. <laughs> now, I will say this win as a Patriots fan, I'm taking um, – I'm not getting too excited over because at the end of the day, I know who we were playing. Right. Um, to be real with you, man, these Patriots, they beat Miami with a Pop Warner offense, right? <laughs> there really was no passing attack at all. The numbers bear out that Cam Newton had 15 of 19, 155 yards, zero touchdowns, zero interceptions. But the real key here was the running attack is what won us the game. Cam Newton himself was the lead rusher for us. He had 15 carries for 75 yards and two touchdowns, which in itself is scary, right? Because Sony Michelle had 37 yards and one touchdown, but he looked inept. Uh, the rest of the running backs didn't look that great either. Rex Burke had 32 yards, Jay 28 yards. Um, so while I'm excited we won the game, I am a little concerned that um, there really is no passing attack. Um, I don't know if Belichick and Josh McDaniels are easing Cam into it, and I think that might be the case. Uh, but we will quickly need to find a pass attack because this upcoming week, we got the real test. We got the test of the test. We got the Seattle Seahawks in Seattle with Russell Wilson looking so damn good. Um, so, listen, if it was, if I truly believe we won that game because of our Pop Warner offense, that defense couldn't stop. Uh, Miami couldn't stop. Our, Miami's defense couldn't stop. And then on top of that, Ryan Fitzpatrick is just as bad as it gets, man. He had three interceptions. I, I truly believe he's still the main reason we won the game. Um, mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, there's some positives I liked, and then I got to kind of wait that out with the fact that we play in the Miami Dolphins and right. Ryan Fitzpatrick, you know? Right, right. And like the Twitterverse, you know, Twitter Twitter on a air quote good day is nasty. Okay. Mm-hmm. So when you're if you're like me, suffering in silence because you don't have any friggin' cable in the goddamn house, 
uh, you're going through Twitter, seeing what the updates are. And you have people, you know, after the Buccaneers game being like, oh, look at that. Bill Belichick is better than Brady. He won with Cam Newton oh and, and Tom Brady laid an egg. And it's like, okay, all right, let's 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 pop the brakes, okay? I'm going to give Brady the benefit of the doubt because it's a new offense. His offense, the, the Buccaneers as a whole was not that great. Mike Evans did not do him any goddamn favors. And, and two, like you said, you were playing the Dolphins. Like, mm-hmm. you're playing my team. Like, the only shining player on the defensive side of the football, not named Byron Jones and Xavier Howard, which really isn't saying a whole lot because the scoreboard, uh, but really was Christian Wilkins. Like, beyond that, the defense for the Dolphins did not show up at all. So I think the real test is, is can Cam Newton – maintain what he did against the Miami Dolphins. Like you said, this week on the road in Seattle, a lot tougher defense uh, as a whole. If he's able to do what he did on the ground and then maybe get like, let's say, what would you say? A a fair stat line through the air, 250 yards, a touchdown and and maybe a pick with rushing touchdowns. Like, I think that would be a good day. If he's able to do that, then I'll start buying the, all right, maybe Bill Belichick and Cam Newton have something going here. Yeah, listen, I, I think the next three weeks are going to give us a good indication of what this Patriots team is going to be. We got the Seattle Seahawks, we've got the Raiders, and then we got the the Kansas City Chiefs. We're going to know very quickly within three weeks what this team is. Now, at the end of the day, Cam Newton, what I expect to see out of him this, uh, this, year, this week is – we're going to see less than 15 carries because he just ran for 15 carries. He had uh, against the Miami Dolphins. If he keeps that pace up, he's going to be a broken man in about three weeks. He's going to be torn up. Um, you can't keep up this pace at 15 carries per game. I expect maybe five to six carries uh, rushes for Cam Newton. And then probably, I would say, amp up the passing attack. The issue is we haven't already passed to. We got Julian Edelman. And then we've got the worst wide receiver in the NFL by the name of Nikhil Harry, who is a piece of shit. I'm over him. I'm done with him. He is soft. He makes mistakes. And I fucking hate his guts. It was so bad. At one point, and I was watching this with, with Juice. Nikhil Harry has the ball, has a full head of steam, and he gets knocked <laughs> out by a cornerback. And this cornerback was 50 pounds lighter and like five inches shorter. Nikhil Harry, 6'3", 220, this, uh, 230. This cornerback was like 5'8", and like 180 pounds, and he absolutely decked Nikhil Harry. He's yep. soft. He ha- he doesn't fight for the ball. He has no tenacity. He doesn't run the routes crisply. He's just a piece of shit. He's a piece of shit. Fuck him. Wow. Is Gunnar Olewski on IR or, or was he not active Sunday? Uh, I didn't see much of him. I don't know. He was not on IR. He just didn't play much at all. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm, I'm with you, Jay. If, on those two touchdown runs, let's be honest here. He, he kind of took a beating going to the goal line. And if he's going to, you know, this is Cam Newton. He's built like a brick shit house. You know, he's like what? Like almost seven foot tall. He's like six and a half feet. And yeah. like 200, 240, 260 pounds, somewhere around there. Like he's built, he, you know, he thick, but if he's going to keep taking hits like that, man, he's not going to make it 16 games. You got to find an aerial attack somehow. Now, real quick, before we wrap up on the Pats, I'm kind of invested in Damon, uh, Damien Harris mm-hmm. in fantasy football. Mm-hmm. Are we going to finally see the Damien Harris experiment when he comes off of IR after week three? Or I is mean, this just a pipe dream? Like, what's your what does your gut tell you? Stash I, I get him. Yeah. Stash him for now. But the way Sony Michelle is playing and how bad he's playing, um, I, I think we'll we'll definitely see Damian Harris at some point, man. It's just 
I, I I just don't understand how we have such a depleted roster. That, it's a different story for a different day, but I'm just so, so – I'm looking at this roster, and I'm like, how are we going to win? Like, I, I understand we won against the, the Dolphins, but, like, this upcoming week, we're going to be exposed. Like, it's going to be exposed on the national stage, and quickly that narrative is going to switch about Belichick being a genius and, you know, the Brady experiment, blah, blah, whatever. Whatever people are saying, like, it's going to be bad Sunday night, man. Mm-hmm. Especially when Russell Wilson's out there just lighting people up, and 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 luckily, luckily we're playing Ryan Fitzpatrick. But dude, that defense had issues as well. Stephon Gilmore didn't really look that good. He had some pretty costly penalties and issues. Um, the front seven got pressure sometimes, but still, it was more an issue of the the offensive line for the Dolphins not being in sync. It's just, I I'm fearing Sunday night. I really am, bro. Yeah, you know what the funny thing, we'll get to this more in the game preview, but right now, as of recording on September 16th, uh, the the Pats, they're they're only four-point dogs on the road. Like they're, Which, they're... Take that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. Take that. I'm, I'm taking Seattle to win by 10, man. Oh, okay. So you, you, you're taking Seattle to, to win, the, to, to cover. Yeah, I'm taking Seattle to cover. I think four is generous. I think four is just the, the Belichick factor and is uh, Mystique and Nora. But we're not we're not going up there and winning by – we're not going up there and losing by three points. We're, we're going right. to lose by seven or more. Gotcha, gotcha. We'll get some more of that in the game preview, of course, too. Uh, Jay, what's your second point, too? So the second point that I want to get to is – and I think you kind of hit on this, man. Like the storyline that I have here is essentially – you know, the Buccaneers losing to the Saints, um, the Buccaneers lost 34 to 23. And you can see it, man. You can see on Twitter, you can see on Instagram, the hate for Brady is real. <laughs> oh, my God. Whoa. Those memes came out so quick, like people had them on, on speed dial or some shit, right? <laughs> my favorite was uh, Brady looking as a Karen with the Oh, that was good. That, that was one, good. That one was good. <laughs> yeah. I but, enjoyed that. Yeah, but I think people really need to put the hate aside for a second and look at what happened. I think I went into this game thinking, me being the biggest Brady fan there is, even I knew there's just absolutely no way you're winning this game. You're coming off of a a season where you've had no you know off season, you've had no training camp, you're getting thrown into uh, the Superdome with one of the top three teams in the NFC and a lot of people's picks to go to the Super Bowl. Like, you've got to be objective here, man. This is expected, right? If you say it out loud, if you really think about what just happened and you think the Bucks are crappy because they lost to a top three team, in the NFC without a preseason and short offseason, then then you're just crazy. You're just a hater for what it is. Now, the game itself, now Brady himself, listen, I think he didn't have his best day, but I don't think he had as bad of a day as as he did as people make it out to be. You know, he had one really bad throw that was late and behind um, on an out route that was a pick six. But for the most part, his other pick was an issue on Mike Evans' end, right? That's something Arians confirmed yesterday. But I was pleasantly surprised at some of the amazing deep throws that he made and how accurate they were. Um, I, I think the one of the biggest uh, uh, you know uh, questions we had going into the season was, can he really go out there and uh, run that uh, aerial attack that Bruce Arian has been. I think he can. I think he looked absolutely great. Now, the biggest issue besides that was the fact that the whole team, top to bottom, played bad for the Buccaneers. It's not just on Brady, and I think this is where Arian has to look himself in the mirror. I think Arians did not have this team ready to play, man. Their offensive line played bad. Their special teams gave up a uh, a, a blunder. They gave the ball over. Um, the defense didn't look that great either. Uh, it was bad coaching in my mind. Uh, the plays they called were pretty non-imaginative, no real creativity there. Um, so this isn't just simply a, a Brady sucks and Arians and the Saints and the Buccaneers look great. Now, on the other end, though, I'll quickly wrap this up and give it to you. As bad as the Buccaneers look, though, man, 
I am a little concerned about Drew Brees because oh, the Saints, the, the Saints, <laughs> yo, dude, like the Saints want not to step on yet. The Saints yeah. won because of defense. And mm-hmm. that's shocking because mm-hmm. historically the Saints have always, always, always been slow out the gate. And the defense really carried the day. Drew Brees, I'm, I'm sure you're going to hit on this. I don't think he threw a pass more than 10 yards down the field. Well, one of my notes here is Brady pushed the ball downfield. Breeze didn't even look down the field. He didn't look past 10 years past the line of scrimmage, right? And it reminds me of that um, that Kirk Cousins or the Jimmy G situation where the coaching staff really doesn't believe in them, doesn't really let them open up the game plan or the playbook. They actively go out of their way to restrict their playmaking abilities, uh, aggress- a way to aggressive running attack. Like I- I'm just seeing these things. And I'm thinking to myself, I, I-, I truly think that the breeze and that uh, and that Saints offense should look much better. Should look how Brady and the Buccaneers looked minus the turnovers. They should look like they're pushing the ball downfield, uh, have some sort of continuity. But I just didn't see any of that at all. Mm-hmm. Now, Jay, two things. One, I, I've said this podcast a while ago, probably like 20 episodes ago, that I, I think we're starting to see the end of Drew Brees. Like the, the guy, when I said that, wasn't pushing the ball down the field. And I mean, it was blatantly obvious on Sunday. Like, I, I don't know if it was because Michael Thomas got dinged up. Like, I, I don't know what happened. But even before Thomas hurt his ankle, he was not looking past past 10 yards. Like, he was not mm-hmm. looking past the sticks. Everything was dump offs to Kamara. I think the farthest pass we saw was when Taysom Hill was in the game. Like, mm-hmm. all joking aside with with our boy Too Hot Butot and how, you know, Taysom Hill could do everything. And he every time he touches the football, he gets like plus 25 yards uh, in, in the in the line score. Like it was it was on display Sunday. Like Breeze was not doing he he did bad. Like he looked bad. He did not look great at all. And if if the defense was historically like they were in the past, this might have been a, a shootout or possibly the Tampa Bay might have pulled it off despite all the errors that Brady had. It was mm-hmm. bad. Like, I don't care. <laughs> well, I mean, listen, when you have 18 uh, completions on 30 attempts and 160 yards and two touchdowns, uh, for being the Hall of Fame quarterback that you are, I, I think you've really got to look at Drew Brees, man. And, and if I'm your boy up there in uh, New Hampshire, I, oh, God, I'm forgetting his name Josh. right now, Haitian, Haitian Hudat. Yeah. Um, if I'm him, I'm worried right now. I'm thinking maybe you start Taysom Hill. You start mm-hmm. looking at Jameis Winston because uh, this is the first time I've seen Drew Brees look skittish, look scared. Um, maybe that's just uh, not having the confidence of the of the coaching staff. But he was not looking downfield whatsoever. Um, and, it, and it's funny because on the other end, you had Tom Brady airing it out. We're the ones that thought that Tom Brady was going to be the one that was going to be able to air it out and throw the ball downfield. But it seemed like the uh, the roles were reversed on, on Saturday, on Sunday. Mm-hmm. For sure. And real quick, just to wrap up on Tampa Bay. I mean, I, I was on here saying that the, the hype surrounding them was reminding me of, the, of the, the Cleveland Browns of last year. Whatever, it's pull the receipts. You can check the tape. But what I will say is this is I'm giving I'm giving Brady and I'm giving Arians the benefit of the doubt, despite the fact that B.A. was just throwing Tom Brady headfirst out of the Greyhound. Yeah, who the hell does Brian who does who the hell uh, does BA uh, think he is? Immediately after the game, and then I think he doubled down at one point on Monday, and then Monday night he started to walk the comments back. But I'll say this much: if the offensive line, I know there's a rookie on there, uh, interesting worse. If if we're still getting the same offensive line play, and the defense is still on track to be the most penalized defense in the in the NFL for the second year in a row, 
by week four or five, like the panic meter for me is going to start going up to about like a five or a six only because this is probably one of the most competitive divisions in the NFL. And it's not that now's not the time to come out, slow out the gate. Like you gotta, you know, everybody's got to tighten up for sure. And if, if it's still like this by week four or five, I don't know, man. I, but no, listen. But but I think it will be. I mean, if you look at let, let's let's take and I looked at this. I looked at the stats for Peyton Manning and when he went to Denver. He started out two and three. He didn't look that mm-hmm. good. He looked just like Brady looked. I mean, essentially they looked sloppy. They looked like they weren't in sync. But after that five six week period, they went on an eleven game winning streak. And and mm-hmm. I think that's what we're gonna see here. We're gonna see by week five, we're still gonna see this team gelling, man. You've gotta give them the fact that they even have a preseason and the Broncos team did have a preseason and preseason games. Like, I mean that's that's big. You had a full off season as well. So I, I truly believe this team is not gonna look good or up to their potential maybe until I would say week six, week seven. So at that point, let's hope it's not too late. But the fact that there's a seventh uh, there's a seventh playoff team really helps these guys out. Oh, this, is sure. a, this is a year where it's not going to look that great. I do expect it to be better next year, but it, you're going to have to ride the ship out for the next few weeks with this team. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's definitely going to be something to watch for sure. Um, real quick, I'll get to my points and then we'll get to game preview. Uh, right off the bat, just to dovetail to what you said about, you know, no off season, no preseason games. Uh, it's become blatantly obvious that does, you know, despite everybody bitching and moaning about preseason games and, and, you know, training camp and the ramp up period, uh, it, it would have helped a lot of these players to be a little bit more conditioned only because you, the, the amount of soft tissue injuries and like non-contact injuries that are occurring, it has been unreal. I mean, we saw it last week before we recorded with Vaughn Miller uh, having a season ending injury with his ankle on the last play of practice. Uh, Marlon Mack blew an Achilles out. Uh, a lot of people, Mike, Mike Evans of the Buccaneers uh, are having hamstring issues. Uh, that is definitely something to keep an eye out, uh, especially for like fantasy football purposes and in real life football. Like if you're, if you're studs, are not able to be on the field because they haven't had enough time to be conditioned and get up to game speed and game reps and whatnot. Uh, this could be, this could be a real potential problem. Like not only was the practice squad increased because of COVID, but you have to figure in your back of your mind that a lot of these uh, head coaches and owners that lived through the lockout in 2011 and saw what the football looked like for that year with a lot of people having blown Achilles and soft tissue injuries. They don't want a repeat of that as well either. So it's definitely something to keep an eye on. Uh, I think the the uh, weightlifting and, uh, and training staff of these uh, teams are definitely going to be earning their pay this year for sure. And, I mean, Mike Evans probably didn't belong on the football field Sunday uh, running routes on one leg with how bad his hamstring sounded leading into this game. Yeah, listen, I agree with you 100%, man. The fact that we have no offseason um, is really uh, – and the fact that COVID kind of didn't allow for an offseason program, um, I think is really kind of showing its ugly head right now. If I'm if I'm a player, man, like it's hard to go from not doing much at all. And as much as we say they went through some sort of training camp, you, you're never really going to be full speed. You're never really get that full speed in training camp. So uh, I think you're, you're right here, man. You have to keep an eye on that. And if I'm a player, I'm getting ready as – as much as possible i'm stretching as much as possible getting those fluids in me um and i'm just hoping for the best because there's nothing you can do now all you can do is just kind of ride it through and see if you can work yourself into game shape in about three four weeks 
Yep, exactly. I mean, look at look at Marlon Mack. I mean, he was going into return a con- of the Mack. Return of the Mack. But uh, no, in all seriousness, I mean, he was going into he's going into a contract year next year, and th- there were a lot of expectations that he was going to have possibly a, a career year on the ground uh, for Indianapolis. And you know, homeboy blew his Achilles out uh, on either the second or third drive of the game, and it's just. You know, sh- you know, shit like that happens, and it's like not only is it affecting your season, but you know, we're talking about a blown Achilles. Like that, you know, it's 2020. Mm-hmm. Medicine has come a long way, but that's still not a full guarantee. Not everybody's gonna bounce back like Emmanuel Sanders did last year. Like he might be done for the rest of his career, depending on how rehab goes. So that's definitely, definitely something to keep an eye on. Uh, and finally, my second point, then we'll get into game preview, is. Uh, I've been on the Steelers bandwagon uh, since the offseason podcast with Mikey P when we did our way too early predictions. I doubled down on this team last week with the Pittsburgh Steelers going to the Super Bowl because of their defense at Big Ben. And that defense was on display last uh, on Monday against the uh, the New York football Giants. And yes, the Giants offensive line was bad. But, man, the amount of playmakers that the Steelers have on the defensive side of the football is unreal. I don't know if you're able to put, you know, bets on uh, defensive player of the year. But if you can and you can find Bud Dupree at great odds, uh, I would definitely jump on that in a cocaine heartbeat. That guy was all over the backfield. He was he was just mauling anybody on that offensive line. He was eating Andrew Thomas's lunch. He uh, he hit Daniel Jones after a 19 uh, play drive, got got the Giants down to the four yard line. DJ rolls out, tries to hit Evan Ingram in the back of the end zone and Dupree hit him while he was throwing the football, caused an interception. And that basically sealed the game. They were all over the place. And this this defense is for is for real. I I think they are the best defense in the NFL, followed by the Buffalo Bills and, you know, the New England Patriots. No shade to them. Despite all the opt outs, they're definitely top five. But the creme de la creme is uh, the black and gold that Mike Tomlin has going for him. Listen, I want to agree with you. Um, I I was watching that game Monday Night Football between the Steelers and the Giants, and I was absolutely floored. I have never seen a defensive performance that dominant in, in years. I'm talking probably 10 plus years, man. And you start looking at some of these names, man. You know, you got Edmonds, you got Joe Hayden, you got Devin Bush, you got Bud Dupree, who was an absolute stud. You got Mika Fitzpatrick coming over from your boys, uh, TJ Watt, Cam Hayward, man. It's just studs all over the spot. Now, like I said, I don't know if this is the fact that this defense is absolutely dynamite or that offensive line is absolute crap. So I'm going to hold, um, you know, my, my reservations and my judgment until I see them play a better, uh, better team. I really want to see how they're going to fare against the Ravens. Um, but, dude, off the top of my head, I, I can't remember the last time this defense looks that good. This reminds me of the old school Steelers teams with, like, you know, with Porter and Troy Palomalo and all those guys. Um, essentially, they made – the best look they they made the the best uh, running back in the NFL look like absolute crap. Like Saquon Barkley had 15 carries for six yards. It was it was atrocious for a while. He there, had he, he had was negative three yards yeah. after first contact. <laughs> yeah, listen, I, I I can't I can't say any more you know complimentary things of this defense that uh, that came out on the field on Monday night. 
Um, it's just absolutely amazing. On the Giants side, uh, I was pleasantly surprised at this Darius Slayton kid, man. I think I think he looks uh, he looks pretty good. He might be a baller. Um, but other than that, there was not many bright spots because of that defense. Now, one last thing on the, on the Steelers' offense itself, I was pleasantly surprised. I was surprised that Ben uh, Big Ben came out and threw three touchdowns and had 229 yards, and you know essentially uh, Juju Smith-Schuster came alive, and that mm-hmm. kid Deontay Johnson, big fan of Deontay Johnson, number 18. He mm-hmm. reminds me of Antonio. Brown with his shiftiness and his quickness. Um, so I, I think the the Steelers with the, with their resurgence in the offensive end and that that just just that amazing defense are, are going to make some some serious noise. I I think I want to see how they play against the Ravens because that'll be a fun matchup. But if they can get to the Ravens, they're probably going to win that division. Oh, for sure. I mean, and you know what? It wasn't pretty at the beginning. Like you know, Big Ben the the rust definitely did show. But as the game went on, he felt a little bit more comfortable. The timing came back. And, I mean, we've been saying this since the beginning, like Claypool getting drafted, being a big body on the outside and Mm -hmm. being able to kick Juju Smith-Schuster back into the slot, his more natural position, the guy thrived. And I think, you know, no shade to Juju, every Batman needs his Robin. And if if Claypool was going to be his Robin on the outside – Whatever, whatever gets the job done, especially going into a contract year for Juju, like this guy is going to ball out. And I think he's going to be a top 10 wide receiver uh, in the in the league this year for sure. Yep. Yep. Cool. All right. Well, let's move on to the game uh, previews. Uh, it is a wonderful sight that tomorrow night, if there's a night football, we are. I'm sitting around here trying to think, what am I going to do besides the podcast? Am I going to watch some sports? Nothing is going on. So tomorrow night, we got Thursday night football. We've got the Cincinnati Bungles going up to the Cleveland Browns. Um, so last week the Browns, uh, Dude. they, they, they did show up. They got rolled the fuck over by the Baltimore Ravens. Um, the final score was 38-6, but I think it should have been a bigger. It should have been like a 45-0 final score. It was just absolutely atrocious. Now, it seems as if Baker Mayfield picked up right where he left off from last year. Um, he looked absolutely out of sync. He was throwing behind late. Um, his numbers were 189 yards, one touchdown, one INT. He's not looking where he's supposed to be looking. He's jumping out of the offense. He's doing his own thing. Um, you know, and we can always make that argument. Hey, well, he's learning a new offense. He'll be all right. But when you're throwing behind late and you're like, you know, not going through your progressions, then that's just a you suck problem. It's not a it's a new offense issue. Uh, I I was I think I was fairly uh, emphatic on my stance on Baker Mayfield in the beginning of the year and how I think he's going to be on a short leash. Um, If he loses this week to the Bengals on national TV and he doesn't look good. I'm out. And I think most of America is going to be out as well. He's never going to be able to relive being on national TV and looking like absolute trash. And it's not Uh, like the Bengals are trash either, dude. Like mm -hmm. Joe Burrow Mm -hmm. ran that two minute Mm -hmm. offense. And I know you're probably going to touch it on this real quick. I didn't mean to steal your thunder, but like he ran that two minute offense to get them within field goal range. And let's be honest, it would have been a touchdown if it wasn't a ticky tack passing interference on AJ green. He ran that two minute offense. Like he was a seasoned veteran. Like he belonged in the NFL. This is not going to be a pushover on Thursday night. 
I was blown away at how well Joe Burrows looked, man. Like at the end of the day, you just mentioned it. The Bengals lost 16-13 on a last-second missed field goal. But Joe Burrow looked absolutely amazing. He took them down the field when they needed to be taken down the field. At the end, he put them in position for that field goal. Unfortunately, the kicker, um, you know, missed it. And he pretended like he he blew out his Achilles, which I would do the same exact thing if I missed it that badly. I'm like, come on, bro. Oh, for sure. <laughs> but, but I liked a lot what I saw from the Bengals in week one, man. Like, I... I think I haven't seen this amount of tenacity and vigor um, since those Carson Palmer, T.O., Ocho Cinco days, right? Um, and I truly believe this has a lot to do with the Joey B, or I'm sorry, Joe Burrow swagger effect that he puts on the team. Oh, my God, uh, yes. Everybody's buying in. I'm not even a Bengals fan, Jay. Like, I, I sit there. I mean, we sit we sit outside having a cigar, and it's like every now and then I try to catch myself doing a pose of, like, uh-huh. Joe Burrow after the national uh-huh. championship. Like, uh-huh. the the, ooh, the dude oozes confidence and swagger, and it's, it's contagious. Listen, I, I was a big fan of him at Ohio State. Um, obviously, I was a big fan of him at LSU. I was hoping he would do well. Um, he is from essentially the same area I'm from in Ohio, and I'm rooting for the guy, man. I, I, think, I think right now I – would rather have a Joe Burrow with all the potential than a Baker Mayfield right now with everything that we know about Baker Mayfield. What's your thoughts on that? Uh, I would buy that. And, you know, I'm going to do the same metric of what I gave with, with Tom Brady. If, if we're still seeing the same, the same BS uh, Baker with the reads and the progressions. And, you know, some people say, well, a lot of it was he was forcing the ball to Odell. And yeah, yeah there's some truth in that. But if we're at week four, or week five, and this team's not competitive, and they keep rolling a donut, and he's still showing rookie mistakes going into his third season. Uh, if I'm the front office, and I'm, you know, I'm Kevin Stefanski, I might think about getting my own guy in there, not just Case Keenum for the rest of the season, but like my own quarterback that would fit my system better mm-hmm. uh, moving forward in the long term, because you're, you're only as good as your franchise quarterback. And if this is your first coaching job, like and the guy may or may not be a bust, do you really want to hitch your wagon to that and buy a ticket on the Titanic? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I'm with you. Uh, well, I, I might, I would take Joe Burrow in a cocaine heartbeat right now. Well, what are you thinking? You're thinking maybe two more bad games and they start uh, looking at Case Keenum. I think uh, week five. I think if 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 he if they're not competitive or he's not showing signs of growth in this new offense by week week four week five for sure uh, I think week six we see Case Keenum uh, take it. What's your thoughts on this whole OBJ trade rumor bullshit? I'm not buying it. I mean, mm-hmm. you're he's at his stock is at the lowest. I mean, I sent you Benjamin Albright's tweet. Uh, he covers the Denver Broncos and works for Pro Football Network. Um, he, he confirmed through his sources that whatever the, the PFN New England was putting out or pro football focus, New England, rather, uh, that he, he shot it down and it makes sense. Like, well, I think it was Mike Francesa that put it out. First. Oh, and, and that's the thing too, is Mike Francesa, Mike Francesa. <laughs> he, he's not in the news breaking business. Yeah, He's kind of a joke himself, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, Mike Francesa, legend in radio, but not in the news breaking business at all. Um, what are you going to get for him? Like he's at his lowest value. Uh, he's always in the news. And in this case for, you know, loving number two, uh, I mean, what, what are you going to get for him? Hmm? What does that mean? Oh, you know, he likes, uh, you know, people taking a dump on him. Oh, uh, a Cleveland steamer, huh? Literally. Um, he but wants what, to... I mean, what are you going to get? Like, what are you going to get for this guy? Like a, a, a fourth round pick <laughs> at that? 
you believe he, that though, man? You believe he actually likes getting a poop on his face? You know, we're we're 50 minutes into this podcast. I don't want to bog this down with uh, Odell poop conspiracy theories, but I'll say, and I said this to you off air, that it might not be true, mm-hmm. but because of how outlandish he is, mm-hmm. it's really hard to give him the benefit of the doubt. Interesting. Interesting. So his his reputation precedes him, is what you're saying? Exactly. I don't know, man. I just find it hard to believe that Odell gets his rocks off by people taking dumps on him. <laughs> Anywho, on that note, I think we covered the game preview for the Bengals Browns. Oh, we uh, got to cover it from all angles, especially the poop angle. Yeah, the poop angle. Uh, well, we're gonna go to the odds angle, and the uh, odds of Pro Football Radio podcast is brought to you by. DraftKings Sportsbook. We're not officially, you know, affiliated with them, but this is our go-to draft book. So, uh, so, so deal with it. Uh, the Bengals are six-point underdogs. I don't know why. Uh, I'm taking the Bengals to win, and I'm also, I, you know, you're taking the Bengals to win. Oh yeah. Nice. They're plus six. I'm taking the points, but I, uh, I might put some, uh, put some shekels down on the money line for sure. Okay, that's nice. That's nice. All right, let's move on next to the. Hey, Houston. What do you got? Did you did you say your pick? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm Bengals? taking the I'm taking the Cleveland Browns, uh, oh. 17-14 because I just don't think you can lose this game. I think you cannot lose this game on national TV to a rookie quarterback in Joe Burrow, especially when they have all that talent on your end. And you know, for and I missed one point. Where was Miles Garrett in that defense? Where was Miles Garrett, the one of the highest paid defensive ends? Uh, what guy that got suspended for what six games last year, whatever the number was. They were that defense and Miles Garrett were absolutely nowhere to be found. They could barely get their fingers on the Ravens, and it was just absolute uh, trash. Yeah, well, you couldn't hit people with the helmet, so uh, that's true. Yeah, I guess it, I guess that takes down your uh, your tackling ability, huh? <laughs> A little bit. When when they're when they're not unconscious, it's hard to tackle them, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All right, what's the next game? Uh, we got the Houston Texans versus the Baltimore Ravens. It should be a good game. Now, listen, I have last week the the law uh, the uh, Houston Texans lost uh, thirty ah, oh to twenty. <laughs> what happened? Oh God, I, I was a dumbass that took them Same here. Uh, plus plus ten. Same here. Um, and the uh, the over under. Uh, you know the over under actually push. You know what's funny? Houston Texans are becoming the Atlanta Falcons. You know what I'm saying? You think they should be better than they are, and they will pop up here and there. But I guess the good teams, man, like they're not it. Listen, I I, I went into the season saying Deshaun Watson, it's uh it's a make or break a year for me for him, right? And he didn't look good one bit, man. He had what 253 yards, one touchdown, one int. Um, and it's especially hard when you look on the other end, you see Patrick Mahomes absolutely lighting it up. Um, but be even further from Deshaun Watson, man, like. I didn't like anything I saw from Houston in week one. Like, their rushing was pedestrian. Their defense was not that good. They couldn't stop a uh, nosebleed. Um, In regards to their rushing, uh, what was it? Uh, David Johnson, he only had 77 yards and a touchdown. And now he got got digged up. He hurt his wrist. (laughs) Yep, yep. And you look like trash, and now you get to play the best or second-best team in the NFL, depending who you ask. Now, listen, the Ravens are no joke, man. Like, I, I think this might be a long day uh, for the Houston Texans. Um, we don't have to go through all these stats because the Ravens absolutely annihilated uh, the Cleveland Browns. But some of the highlights, Lamar Jackson, sensational, picked up what he left from last year. I think he actually was better this, uh, this game with his accuracy and his arm. He actually only ran it seven times, but he had three touchdowns and 275 yards. The running attack is great, as it was last year. 
I like the emergence of J.K. Dobbins with two touchdowns. Uh, he's my boy from Ohio State. The defense looks stout, um, and I think they'll continue to have success against the Texans. Uh, give him the Ravens, man. Uh, and uh, give him the Ravens big, actually. I, I'm thinking like a 14-point win because I have absolutely no faith in Deshaun Watson at Texans anymore. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say I'm pulling up the uh, the uh, the line if I could find it. I actually just had it. So Baltimore is favored by seven points. Mm. Uh, I'm with you. I think Baltimore wins. Um, like you said, I think the issue on Thursday night was Bill O'Brien was trying to make it a point to prove that he's the smartest guy in the room, and he, you know, he won the. DeAndre Hopkins, David Johnson trade, which uh, certainly wasn't the case because DeAndre Hopkins had a career day on Sunday against the San Francisco 49ers. But he really force fed the ball to DJ uh, David Johnson. Will Fuller looked good, though. Mm. And the Fuller to Watson connection is real. We've seen that in the past. Uh, I'm going to go. I'm with you. Like I said, I have Baltimore winning the game. I'm, I'm feeling a little a little froggy. With this, I'm gonna go back to the well. I'm gonna take Houston plus seven. I'm gonna take. I think they're gonna cover. I I think they're gonna cover the spread this game. Give me, give me, give me some of Houston plus seven. I'm, I'm feeling a little froggy barking with the dogs this week. All right, listen, man. More power to you, brother, man. (laughs) Uh, Next up, Dallas versus Atlanta. Uh, Cherry World. Last week, Dallas. Speaking of which, last week Dallas lost to the Rams. SoFi Stadium is absolutely beautiful, man. Did you see oh, that? Oh, man. Absolute thing of beauty. It's probably like the eighth or ninth wonder of the world. Uh, Cronky definitely got what he paid for because, uh, I mean, it's beautiful. And he paid for the whole goddamn building because uh, Stamkos or whatever his name is, uh, owner of the Chargers, did not foot the bill at all either. Um, yeah, so, Spanos. Spanos, yeah. yeah no. So, uh, Cronky so, got what he paid for. So... The most expensive stadium in the NFL was about $2 billion before the Rams stadium came through. Now, you would think it would be in the ballpark of $2 billion, but you'd be wrong. So you want to venture a guess into how much it would cost? It's over $2 billion? Yep. Uh, $4.5? $5 billion. Why do I feel like it went over budget, too? It did, oh yeah, by by quite a bit. But I, I I mean I see though. I mean you look at that thing and you're just you're just amazed at how how beautiful that stadium is. But but the game itself. Let's talk about the Dallas um, Dallas Cowboys going out to Los Angeles to play the Rams. So listen, the Dallas Cowboys lost 2017. Um, they lost uh, on some last second controversy where essentially Jalen Ramsey became the highest paid actor in Hollywood. Um, the guy flopped like no other, and it was absolutely hilarious. The memes were great, right? <laughs> help me, hey, help me cover the spread. It kept my parlay alive. So I'll take it, all right? I'll take it any way I can get it, my man. So even though Dallas uh, Dallas ended up losing, I did learn a few things. Um, I did learn that Zeke is an absolute machine this year, man. Some of the pitchers that came out before the season, he looked lean, um, and that really showed on the field. He looked explosive as hell. He looked like that Zeke in the first couple of years down at Dallas. He ended up with 96 yards, 4.4 yards per carry. Uh, but for the most part, I did like what I saw out of Mike McCarthy, man. He got Zeke involved. He got Amari Cooper his catches. Um, and, and even though some of those defensive players they took in the draft, I feel like they kind of hit on those as well uh, because some of those guys came through with Trayvon Diggs making some big plays. And, 
and and everything else. And the one guy that didn't really show up or didn't have much of a contribution was C.D. Lamb. I wish he would have gotten uh, involved some more. Um, but for the most part, I, I kind of like what I saw out of Dallas. Now, on the other end, Atlanta, I don't know, man. It's, it's, a, it's a typical Atlanta loss. You put up tons of yards, but you still somehow lose. Um, Stats-wise, Matt Ryan had 450 yards, two touchdowns. I mean... For God's sakes, Julio Jones had 157 yards, Calvin Ridley had 130, Russell Cage had 114. But it's a typical Atlanta Falcons loss. You throw up some impressive numbers, you're never really in the game, you're kind of a laughing stock, and they lost 38-25 to the Seattle Seahawks. Um, I don't know what to make of this Falcons team just yet. Uh, it's a little too early. Um, I'm leaning towards they're probably going to be you know, trash again. So I'm taking the, uh, the home team, Dallas Cowboys 2014. Uh, hmm, they're in Jerry world. I'll say this real quick. Blake Jarwin, the tight end for the, the Dallas Cowboys, uh, he's for done for the year mm-hmm. with a torn ACL. Uh, to your point about CeeDee Lamb, it would have been nice to see a little bit more out of him uh, on opening night. But I will say this, after Blake Jarwin went out, he did make a couple of big plays. I think moving forward, because there's less mouths to feed because he blew his knee out, CeeDee Lamb, I think, is going to be a thing uh, moving forward in this offense. I, I think this is a type of offense that could support three wide receivers uh, in, you know, uh, Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, and CeeDee Lamb. I, I think if fantasy football purposes, if you're able to get CeeDee Lamb on the cheap, if he's not on waivers, now might be the chance, especially going into this Atlanta Falcons game where, like you said, Jay, th- this offense is stout. Like, they could put up points all day. But this defense, the biggest knock that they've had ever since they went to the Super Bowl is they, they can't stop a nosebleed, and they don't have a whole lot of depth. Like, they're one injury away from this entire defense to come tumbling down like a house of cards. So if if you're able to get C.D. Lamb on the cheap, I suggest you jump on that again on a cocaine heartbeat. Uh, but pick wise, we're in Jerry World. I think this could be a get right game here. Uh, I just had the the spread here. Dallas is favored by four and a half. Uh, give me the Cowboys and, and give me the Cowboys to cover the spread pretty uh, pretty handily as well too. Give me them boys. Um, all right, cool man. Next up, the Patriots versus Seattle. We kind of talked about the Patriots that lent up front, so we're going to have to rehash all that. On the Seattle side, now they, they did. They let beat, Russ cook. They let up? Russ cook. They did let Russ cook. I, I did. I was very impressed, and I was surprised to see that. Um, they He was 31 of 35, 322, and four touchdowns. So we have four touchdowns and four incompletions. That's absolutely wonderful, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. So all is well on the offensive end. On the defensive end, I think there's a little bit of an issue there because, you know, Matt Ryan was absolutely able to torch that defense through the year. They gave up 450 yards in the year. Um, now, for the Patriots, they're going to have to try to match that. And unfortunately, we don't think the Patriots can match that aerial attack just yet. They're going to have to run the ball. But looking at the trends coming out of that Falcons game for Seattle, they were able to stop the run. They couldn't stop the pass, but they kept Todd Gurley in check um, for 56 yards. They had Brian Hill for 12 yards. Um, so I don't think the Patriots are going to be able to run the ball. They have to throw the ball. Now, a lot of that has to do with the fact that they got down big and the Falcons had to throw the ball. But uh, from the glimpses that I've seen, the highlights that I've seen of breaking out on the tape, that that Seattle defense is something you can't run on, but you could throw on. So I don't think the Patriots are going to be able to essentially throw on that defense. 
defense. I don't think they'll be able to run on the defense as well. I'm calling it like a 24-14 win for I'm Seattle. With I, I'm with you. I'm I'm taking the I'm taking Seattle with the victory here. Like part of me, Jay, part of me wants to take New England to cover the spread at four points, but like I just unless we're magically going to see a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde out of Nikhil Harry. Uh, oh my God. I I don't. I don't see it happening. I mean, the, the, the tight ends, the tight end position is still uh, a massive, massive of, uh, abyss ever since Gronk left. Nikhil Harry has massively failed uh, expectations. And let's be honest, I mean, Julian Edelman, he's getting up there in age. There's no shade against him. Uh, he, he's been an absolute stud uh, during his NFL career. But, I mean, every every week he's been going in dinged up with a knee injury. And if they're just going to roll coverage to him and force Cam Newton to – you know, places uh, places bet with with Nikhil Harry. This aerial attack does not scare me at all, uh, unless they're just going to do dump off pass, passes to James White. I'm I'm with you, man. I'm taking Seattle uh, Seattle to win this game and give me Seattle the points as well too. I think Seattle covers this pretty easily as well. I just don't understand how we got to this point where we're so fragrantly deprived of talent on the offensive end. Like I. I it's a miracle. Looking back, looking back, and I, I guess perception a year later is a good thing. Um, but looking back, man, I'm sorry, perspective. Like looking back, I, I don't understand how Tom Brady took this team to be 12 and four. I don't understand that because that defense, yeah, it was good against bad competition last year when they were eight and zero. But then they couldn't stop nobody. Like the second they started playing good talent, it was pretty bad. So. I don't know, man. I don't understand how Bill Belichick, the GM, let this get so bad. We have no tight ends. Um, we have no receivers besides Julian Edelman and maybe James White. I, I don't know, man. It's I, I think we're looking at a pretty bad night in Seattle, man. Yep, yep. I I'm I'm with you too. And I just my biggest fear, Jay, is because of the success Cam had on the ground, is he's going to feel a little froggy and he's mm-hmm. going to be pushing the envelope. And mm-hmm. here comes Bobby Wagner, and mm-hmm. he is gonna he's gonna knock Cam on his ass. And not only is Bobby Wagner there, you have Jamal Adams that's looking to prove a point of, hey, I got traded to a defense that. You know, we're trying to rebuild the Legion of Boom here. How can I, you know, put an exclamation point on this by by knocking Cam Newton on his ass if he's trying to roll out of the pocket? I think I'm with you. It is going to be a long day up at the Emerald City. Yeah, it'll be a fun game to watch, though, man. It'll be it'll be oh awesome for sure. It's gonna be yeah. black and blue football, man. It's gonna be yeah. great. Well, my biggest fear is Cam Newton gets knocked out and then Brian Hoyer Brian Hoyer season starts. <laughs> hey, who knows? Who knows? Okay, last night, the last game we're going to pick is the New Orleans Saints versus Las Vegas Raiders on Monday Night Football. The Raiders are opening up their new stadium, also known as the Death Star. Yes. Uh, that thing looks absolutely amazing. The only the only issue I have with that stadium is fucking Allegiant sponsors that. Hey, there's a reason <laughs> why the airfare is cheap. They had to sponsor a stadium, my man. Yeah. So we talked about the Saints in the A block. Um, you know, we to give you guys a quick rundown, Saints won 
23 over the Buccaneers. I think both of us are concerned about the fact that Sean Payne doesn't seem to have trust in Drew Brees. Um, that Saints defense did look okay. Uh, they were giving the Bucks offense all they could handle. But then again, it could just be the fact that the Bucks offense is still trying to find their way. Uh, so still not sh- still not really sure on, on that end. And that's, and that's probably the issue here. Is that it's only week one. We don't have much more concrete evidence than just one uh, one week. Um, on the other end, the Raiders, they beat the Panthers 34-30. I was watching that with my buddy Juice. He was absolutely losing his mind because he thought they were going to win. And then somehow last second, Derek Carr gets him the win. Um, they uh, Derek Carr ended up with 239 yards, one touchdown. Joshua Jacobs had a good running attack day. He had uh, 93 yards and three touchdowns, so great for fantasy owners. Um, yeah. And then I was impressed with Henry Ruggs. I think he had some great routes. He got a little banged up, um, but I just saw that that uh, that that just that speed, man. Like you just can't teach that speed when he's running away from cornerbacks. Um, so I, you know, I still don't know what to make of the Raiders as well just yet. So because of that, give me the Saints 24-17. Gotcha, gotcha. I'm with you. I think I think this is going to be a get-right game for the Saints offense. I mean, let's be honest, the defense of the Raiders doesn't really scare you that much. I mean, Max Crosby is an absolute stud that Mike Mayock found. I believe it was in the third or fourth round out of, uh, out of Central Michigan or something like that. Uh, Jonathan Abram is going to be a, a beast in the secondary at the safety position. But, I mean, beyond that, this really doesn't scare you. And even if Michael Thomas may or may not be out of this game with a high ankle sprain, he might miss the next couple of weeks or he might try to gut it out. Mm. Um, I think you're going to see uh, a lot more dynamic play calling out of Sean Payton. I, I would not be surprised if you see Latavius Murray and Alvin Kamara on the field at the same time with maybe Kamara lined up in the slot a little bit more because of the Michael Thomas injury. Um, I think this is a get-right game. I love me the Oakland Raiders, not the Oakland Raiders, the Vegas Raiders. Um, but I just, I don't think this is going to be a victory uh, in their their new stadium on a, a Monday Night Football. Uh, give me the Saints and give me the Saints covering as well. They're six-point favorites at this point. Um, I just, like I said, I think this is a get-right game. And if you have Alvin Kamara, I think you're going to be in a good spot for fantasy football this week. Yeah. Uh, real quick, and we didn't kind of uh, we didn't put this into our notes, so there's not much. Uh, I guess I don't have many notes on this one. But what's your thoughts on that Rams game going across uh, country to play the Philadelphia Eagles? I mean, it's interesting to watch the Eagles blow a 17-0 lead um, to the Washington Redskins, and oh, I'm not gonna lie to oh, you, our boy Carson Wentz didn't look that good. He did not look that good. And the Rams, on the other hand, I think the Rams look pretty good, man. I was impressed with what they saw what I saw out of those guys week one. I do have the Rams winning this, but what's your thoughts on the fact that uh, there's some issues there with quarterback in Philadelphia and uh, Jalen Hurts sitting behind Carson Wentz? I would See, here's my thing is this offensive line was brutal at all game. Like mm-hmm. they were brutal all day. And, you know, that, not to take anything away from Washington. I mean, mm-hmm. they have a bunch of first round draft picks. On yeah, that. But, that, but that defensive line is probably the best defensive line in the NFL, though, right? Exactly. Exactly. And Lane Johnson was not in this game. Uh, Peter. Uh, oh, what's I forgetting his first name. But uh, uh, Peters, he, he just came back. Jason Peters, he kind of had a rough day. I'm going to be honest. I'm not that concerned at the moment. Like like we just said, it's the best defensive line. I think any quarterback behind this offensive line was going to have a very long day at the office, uh, especially with a, a dinged-up Jalen Rager going into this game. Uh, no Miles Sanders because of injury. They really didn't have a running game at all. They were not balanced at all. I think Carson went through the football north of 40 times 
in this game. Uh, I think this is going to be an interesting game. If Lane Johnson doesn't play, I think it's going to be another rough day at the office, especially with Aaron Donald on that defensive front. Um, I, I like the I like the Rams despite traveling across the country in this game and looking real quick at their odds. They're they're only one point favorites, so Vegas mm. is expecting this to be a closer game. Uh, I like the Rams to win this outright, uh, so I, I'll take the points. I'll, I'll I'll take the money line as well too. Yeah. Okay. Cool, man. Um, I think that wraps it up. Uh, you want to plug it up, or you want to get to anything else? Uh, really, real quick. Uh, speaking of the fo- Washington football team, they're playing the Cardinals this week. They're six mm. and a half point underdogs. What do you uh-huh. think? That, what do you? Uh, no, they're on the road. They're going okay. down to Arizona. Uh, okay. What do you? What do you think of the football team, man? I mean, Dwayne Haskins, he he trimmed up. Uh, he looked pretty decent. Terry McLaurin is going to be a top fifteen wide receiver. This defensive front is legit. What do you think of their chances? I think I think this is where I'm calling the upset. Um, I think I was highly impressed with the fact that you were down 17 points in the football team to the Eagles. And, you know, your leader, Dwayne Haskin, was able to step up at halftime and give a a motivational speech and the team bought in. I, I think the biggest thing is sometimes guys will give those motivational speeches and teams won't buy in. But I think those guys came out, played with some 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 fire. That defensive line with Chase Young and Kerrigan on those boys is, is nothing, to be, nothing to mess around with. Um, and I still haven't bought into the Cardinals. I haven't bought into that system. Um, that uh, air attack, that um, dancing cliff runs. I think I'm gonna have Washington up with the upset here, man. I'm with you, dude. I'm I'm feeling I'm feeling pretty froggy this week. I'm gonna be barking with the dogs again. Give me the uh, give me the Washington football team plus six and a half. Uh, might try to parlay them with a couple other underdogs this week too. But I really liked what I saw. I like the reports coming out of camp of Dwayne Haskins as well too, and. Uh, that's really all I got, Jay. If you got you, you want the final word, or I'm just gonna plug this up. Plug this up and let's call it a day, bro. All right, man. So this podcast and previous episodes of the Pro Football Radio Podcast can be found on SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and uh, YouTube. Jay has been a wizard uh, getting the audio up on the YouTube channel with uh, some very nice. Uh, photography, uh, nice pictures up there as well, too, for your listening and viewing pleasure if you're suffering in silence at work. Um, you can find us on social media, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Pro Football Radio Podcast, Twitter, at PFR Podcast. I'm on Twitter, at Brando uh, underscore Puma. Jay Chima is at Jay Chima. Like, subscribe, download, follow us. Hit us up on social media. You, you know, if you got a question you want us to answer on the podcast, by all means. We're also now in fantasy football mode too. If you want our takes on, you know, trades, or if you want our takes on waiver wire ad drops, by all means, hit us up because tis the season uh, of fantasy sports, fantasy football. It's a it's a great time to be alive during these times of COVID, my man. Cool, cool, awesome. Sounds good. Um, all right, cool. Well, let's um, let's wrap this up. Let's call it a day. Thank you guys for for tuning in. We appreciate you guys, and we'll talk to you guys next week. Bye, Con Dios and Freddy